Acts chapter 5, and let's stand if you're able to stand. We're going to read a few verses beginning in verse 11. And verse 11 is the conclusion of what has been spoken about in the first 10 chapters of Acts chapter 5, and I'll kind of tell the story on it in a moment. But verse 11 says, And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. So there's great fear, respect, reverence upon the church. Verse 12 says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and of the rest durst no man join himself to them. But the people magnified them, and believers were the more added to the church, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid, laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Everyone. Then the high priest rose up and all that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Let's stop reading there. We're going to focus our attention to a passage in our verse, in verse 13, a very unusual verse, the way it's worded. When it says, and of the rest durst no man join himself to them. Um, I want to speak on this subject tonight, today, reluctance to join a church. There were people who were hesitant to join this church. And the rest durst no man join himself to them. And we celebrate the anniversary of our church today, the founding of our church, and I just want to look at some opinions in this passage about the first church, the church that Jesus founded. So uh, let's have prayer, and as soon as we finish praying, young people, y'all can come in, have a seat, we'll get right into the message. Thank you again for the special. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, today for your word, and we thank you for the institution of the church that you established. We pray you'd bless our time in the word today. Bless the service that will go on in the Franklin County Jail this afternoon and the service that will go in the St. Clair Nursing Home this afternoon. We pray that you'd bless those who minister in those places as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I want to begin uh, this, this uh, looking at this church. And if you have your Bible open there in Acts uh, chapter 5 and chapter 4, we're just going to see some things that were going on. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. But I want to get a picture, a sort of a summary, a bird's eye view of what is transpiring. If you were to go all the way back to Acts chapter 2, we have Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. And on that day, after he preached the gospel message, 3,000 people were saved and baptized. Now, Jerusalem was a large city. This is the place we're talking about. It's a church that Jesus started, which was here in Jerusalem. And it was a large city, but even 3,000 people saved in a large city would make waves. It could not be ignored. In Acts chapter 4, in verse 3, 
They laid hands on them and put them in hold, put them in prison until the next day. So they were put in custody. But look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000 people. So So you see things are happening in this particular church, amazing things. And as a result, there's persecution. These men were threatened. In Acts chapter 4, we're not going to read it all. These men were threatened. They were commanded not to preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. But they just continued preaching. They refused to stop. Acts chapter 4 and verse 33 says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And so God is working. A couple of passages after that. As a matter of fact, Acts chapter 4. Look at the generosity uh, of the church. Neither, it says uh, in verse 34, Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. So it's a very generous caring about each other, people are being saved, God is blessing, there's persecution, but they're, they're pressing forward for the gospel's sake. Acts chapter 5 and verse 1 begins with what you probably are very familiar with, this account. People were giving stuff away. Uh, Barnabas had sold a piece of ground. He sold, gave the proceeds to the church to help with people that had needs. And there's this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and they sold some property. They gave, and they gave a portion of it to the church. Nothing wrong with that. They were generous. They were, you know, they were, um, I believe, kind of caught up maybe in the moment of what other people were doing. But the problem was, they lied about it. You remember that? They, they said they were giving the whole thing and they only gave a part of it. And because of that, God judged them. And if you look in chapter 5 there, and... Uh, in verse 5, Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. He died. God killed him. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. Well, his wife came in a little bit later, and verse 10 says, Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carried her forth, buried her by her husband. And that's why verse 11 says, And great fear came upon all the church. Now, if you'd think about that, you could understand that. I mean, if we had church today and someone got up, we had testimony time a while ago and said, you know, God blessed us with this piece of land and we, we sold it because we love the Lord and we want to help people and we brought the proceeds to give it to the church, but they lied and they just fell over dead. You know, that kind of gets your attention, Right. And not only did he fall over dead, they took him out and buried him. And then his wife came in, she lied too. Graveyard dead. So there was this fear about it. Next time they came to church, could you imagine what they're thinking about next time they come to church? It's going to be great. We're wondering who's going to die today. No, they'd be thinking, you know, what, what's going on? What's, what's happening? So there's great fear upon the church and all those who heard it. There was a reverence. By the way, that's a good thing. A reverence, a reverence for God, a reverence for the house of God. It's something that's really kind of fallen by the wayside, something that's really minimized. As a matter of fact, it's almost criticized. You know, I, I was, we, we came by a, 
a, a facility, a re, church facility driving home. I've been by it numerous times. Uh, it's in Illinois. And it's called, here's the name of the church. Enjoy, E-N-J-O-Y, Enjoy Church. That's the name. I looked at their website. And, and, and the, you know what they emphasize about church? It's just about having fun. Now, I, I enjoy church. But church is not just about having fun. Church is about reverencing God and worshiping God. And so here we have in this church, there was this holy reverence. People were being helped. We read about it a moment ago. Look in verse 12. And it says, And all they were with, and they were all with one accord. So here's a church that's united. They're united in their purpose. They're united in their passion. They're in harmony. The church is in agreement. That's the opposite of discord. They're in one accord. The opposite of one accord would be numerous chords. They would be, that would be discord. Discord is like strife or everybody having to have their own opinion or disagreement. But God wants His churches to be in unity. So they're in one accord. And so I look at this church. Lots of things are happening. People are being saved. People are being healed. And people are in agreement. And I would think, that's a church I'd want to join. Wouldn't you? I mean, I'd, I'd like to that. But yet, look what it says in verse 13. And of the rest, durst no man join himself to them. And so here's what I want to look at in this passage for just a few minutes this afternoon. And that's a variety of opinion, of opinions about the church and about this church in particular. And first of all, we've already emphasized this. They were made up of committed members who were growing spiritually and seeing God work. They were united. They were in one accord. They were committed to each other. And so you have that group, committed members of the church. And then we read in verse 17 and 18, if you'll glance there, we read that also. And here's these religious leaders, these, these uh, religious elitists who were not favorable. Matter of fact, they were antagonistic. It says that they were filled with indignation. They were jealous. They were, they were bitter. They were not pleased with what was going on. So now you have the church members and then you got these antagonists. But then there's another group in verse 13, it says, And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. Now the word magnified, think of a magnifying glass. What does a magnifying glass do? It makes things larger. So there were those who, were, who held these people, these church members, this church, they held them in high esteem. They magnified them. They, they declared them to be great. They were respected. People in the community, they weren't church members, but they respected them. They magnified them. These were not the religious critics. These were not the ones who were committed and in one accord. They were just respectful. They recognized something good about them. You know, um, if you're in this community very long, uh, you'll hear something critical said about our church. Probably you go door to door, you talk to people, and um, and there's there are a few critics around. But you know what? I know pers- people personally, a lot of them, that never come to this church, but they respect this church, 
And they speak highly of the church. They haven't, heard, they haven't heard or believed some of the naysayers. So there are people around like that. They, what does the Bible say about them? It says that the people magnified them. So you have three groups of people. Then the group of people I want us to think about more today. That's verse 13 when it says, Of the rest durst no man join himself to them. Now I want you to think with me for a little bit today. What does it mean they wouldn't join themselves? Uh, if you were to take that word join and look it up in a concordance or a Bible dictionary, it comes from the Greek word kaleo, and it means to be glued to. It means to cleave to. It means to be attached to, to be united with. Nobody. There were those who, they may have respected them, but they wouldn't join them. Right? They, wouldn't, they didn't want to attach themselves to them. They were hesitant to join them. Now, please hear me, because I want to... I uh, emphasize some things about this, but I don't want to miss this point. One thing this tells me about the members of that church, when people did not want to join themselves with them, it tells me that they recognized those people were committed to each other. They were, they were not just people whose names were on the roll, but they didn't have a relationship with it. I believe they were committed to each other. They're, the observers could see that they were like attached to each other, but they didn't want to make that commitment themselves. They weren't willing to be committed. So there's the, that's laying out basically the overview of what this passage is about. Now, for the next little bit, I want to look at some applications and lessons that are found in this passage. And the first one is this. The church of Jesus Christ, we talked this morning about the church that Jesus is building. The church of Jesus Christ is made up of members of like faith who are committed to each other. They're not just committed to the Bible. They are committed to the Bible. And they're not just committed to Jesus. They are committed to Jesus. But they're also committed to each other. And that's something that's often missing in churches. You know, they, people commit themselves to an institution, but the, the institution of the local church is people. It's members of the body. It's, it's stones that make up the building. And so, so they're committed to each other. And we see here that, that they were in, uni, in union. They were unified. They had harmony. They had agreement. They had a, they had a passion for ministry. And, and, their fear, and they had a fear of God. And by the way, those are things that, that were not... Um, criticized, those were things that they were commended for. And uh, ch- the churches ought to be committed, people in the church ought to be committed to one another. And that's what, that's what every church member should strive for. Now, I, you know, I, can, I clearly came to this opinion, not just through this sermon, I'm over this persuasion for a long, long time. But people need to see this. You know, people like sometimes coming to a church and attending a church and being blessed by a church and maybe even serving in a church, but they don't really want to be connected to the people in the church. And I'm just telling you, four out of five is not bad, but I'd want five out of five, right? I'd want the whole thing. That's what God has for us. So these people are obviously committed to each other. The second observation I want to make is this. The fact that these people who saw them but were reluctant to join them the blame for their reluctance does not fall on the church. In other words, God is not saying the church was wrong because these people had this reluctance to join them. 
And I think it's an important thing to think about. Because a lot of people would disagree with what I've said and what I'm about to say. They would say, well, if a person is not willing to join the church, it must be because there's something wrong with the church. Not necessarily. This, here's the people right here. Are you with me? You're with me, right, Sonda? <laughs> here's a church where people were being saved, needs were being met, they were, they were bound to each other, they were committed to each other, they were living in harmony, God was blessing, and yet people didn't want to become a part of it. And it wasn't because there was anything wrong in the church. As a matter of fact, churches make the mistake of thinking that we have to adapt our ministry to make people feel at home or people feel comfortable or so people won't be offended by the truth or whatever. We're going to change our music. We're going to change our doctrine. Some churches basically pride themselves on not preaching doctrine because they want to make it palatable to the carnal mind. This passage to me tells me something entirely different than that. These people, if, if there was a church in town like this, I would want to join that church. And everybody, you know, wants to see a church attract people. But the purpose of church is not finding a way to attract people. Really, the way to get people is go out and knock on doors and reach out to people with the gospel. It's not trying to create a culture. And this is happening more and more with music, with the auditorium, the way it's presented, the way the message is presented, the entire thing. All with this mindset, we just want to make it as comfortable as possible for unsaved people, carnal people, fleshly people to feel at home. You don't find that in the Bible. It's just not in the Word of God. You know, as I was studying this message, I was thinking back to when my wife and I first started going to church. And I didn't think that Terry would be here, but Terry uh, Landing was a member of the same church that we were in in Texas, and she was a member of that church when we got saved. So she could verify this. When I started first coming to church, Terry, I, I look like I look like I look now, right? No. I mean, when I, when I first go into their home... As a person who's just hearing the gospel, just being saved, I had real long hair, and all of my, all of my friends were worldly friends, and this is not an exaggeration. My entire wardrobe was t-shirts and blue jeans and tennis shoes, and that was the extent of it. And I started going to a church, the church where she was, her dad was a, on staff, and the church that we had been invited to come to because a lady invited us through my wife. If you could just get, if this was her, you've heard me tell this. If you could just get him to church, if you could just get him to church. I wasn't, a, I wasn't a casual druggie. Every single day of my life for years, I was putting drugs and alcohol into my body every day for years. And, and I started going to church. And I, you're talking about a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. That's what, that's what it was like for me. And, I, and it was not much unlike this church. The appearance of it. People were dressed in their Sunday best. The music was conservative, traditional music. And I come into that environment. Hear me now. 
I never once thought, they need to make their music more palatable. I was a rock music addict. I never once thought that. I never thought they needed to start dressing down to make me feel more comfortable. You know why? Because I, I, I needed what they had. And what they had was Jesus Christ. People say, well, they, people, people won't have interest. They'll be offended if they come in. It's too conservative. They'll be offended. I don't buy into that. This church was everything, everything a person would want a church to be, and yet these people didn't come into it. I just, what I'm saying is, from my personal testimony, the cultural divide that there was between my life and my world and my thinking and my language and my music and my friends and everything about me, that cultural divide didn't need to be changed to adapt to me. Just be who you are. Be full of God. You know, worship God. You know what? I came, I came into an atmosphere where I knew they had something I needed. Thank God for it. So the fact that other people were reluctant to join was not an indictment on the church. Like they shared some of the blame. So I asked this question. What is it that makes it hard to join a church? They were, this was a difficult church to join. Look at the language again. Just go over it. Make sure we got it. Verse 13. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them. And so I want to translate that into our culture and ask this question. What would make a church hard to join? And I'm going to really abbreviate um, for our, all your sakes today. But the first one, unfortunately... Sometimes Christians contribute to making it hard for a person to join the church. You say, well, how could that be possible? If churches are not friendly, if they're not welcoming, if they're, if, you know, I think we ought to go out of our way to welcome guests in our church. You know, it's awkward enough to come to a new church. Now, some of, some of y'all have been coming to church here for a long, long time. It's not awkward for you. But I'm telling you, for some people, the first time they walk in church, it's awkward. And, and we make it even more awkward if we don't welcome them, if we don't help them find a seat, if they can't find their Sunday school classes, you know what I'm saying, those kinds of things. Shame on us. You know, if we're not doing all we can to make them welcome. I think churches ought to intentionally make, make sure it's an uplifting experience for people who come. A second thing about that, if, if church members are viewed as hypocrites, or insincere, or double-faced, two-faced, one way at home, another way at church, one way on the job, you know, people, it gives a confused message. Or if you knew somebody that was a church member, and they were always complaining about the church. Always criticizing the church. I hope that never happens. I'm talking about sometimes we as Christians make it hard for somebody to join a church. Shame on us if that's the case. But, but I'm thinking back at our text in Acts 5. Sometimes fears make it hard to join a church. These people saw what was happening. They looked at these people. I mean, to me, honestly, before we started going to church, I didn't know any Christians. You know, my wife... My wife was supposed to be a Christian. I was actually supposed to be a Christian. But we, we weren't, neither one of us saved. But I didn't have any Christian friends. These people were weird, 
right? And you, and, and you wonder, you know, can I ever be like that? I thought, how could I ever be like these people are, you know? Sometimes our fears, they knew, this, they knew that these people were different. I mean, if you could somehow in your mind visualize what it was like to live in Jerusalem, you know, right down the street from some of these people, you'd know these are different kinds of people, especially in that Jewish culture. Sometimes people are afraid to make commitments. You know, I don't know how it is with everybody, but I, when, I, when I started coming to church as a lost person, I started realizing right away there were some th- commitments I need to make about family, about the way I live my life, about who my friends are. And you know what? I was, sometimes people are afraid to make commitments. And they had seen here, I, most of these people knew this. Two church members got killed. Graveyard dead. I'm not sure about that. Maybe I'll find a different church. Sometimes people, it's hard for people because of their fears. The gospel changes people's lives. Amen? The gospel changes people's lives. And we don't have to create that environment. That's a natural byproduct of being saved. You become a new creature. So why, what makes a church hard to join? Sometimes we contribute to it. Sometimes it's because fears make it hard. But thirdly, I want to say, sometimes the flesh makes it hard. You know, my, I, I, assume, I assume that my flesh is kind of like your flesh. Right? It's okay. No problemo. Sometimes... Our flesh resists really getting all in for the gospel. Could you agree with that? Sometimes the flesh makes it hard. People come to church with these restrictions on what they're willing to do, how committed they want to be. And sometimes it's hard because of our own flesh. And uh, these people, they were watching. These were witnessing people. These were sacrificing people. They were giving people. And um, sometimes our flesh makes it hard. Fourthly, let me say, sometimes the devil makes it hard. Because I want to tell you, the devil doesn't want people to join churches who preach the gospel and love one another. He, you know, I'm, I can't prove this, but I believe it. If I was the devil, and sometimes you may think I am sometimes, but if I was the devil... Where would I rather someone go to church? The Catholic church? The Methodist church? Or the Baptist church? And you say, why do you say that? Because we don't all preach the same message. And if I was the devil, I would try to keep people from going to a church where they're going to hear the pure gospel, the straight gospel that changes lives. And I was thinking about this this morning. A lot of people, to me, a lot of people don't really understand the role the church plays in God's work. But I'm telling you, I believe Satan understands it, and he hates it. He hates a strong church. That's why the Lord's churches are sometimes criticized and sometimes, you know, attacked. People start rumors. People say things. And that's all a part. They did it to Jesus. Jesus said, hey, if they call the master of the house Beelzebub, don't think they're not going to say bad things about you. 
Now what this tells me is that spiritual warfare is a, is a factor in people getting in church, understanding what church is about, wanting to be a part of the church. And that's why, that's why the devil fights it. He fights people here in the gospel. He fights against people being saved. He, he fights about, against you taking the gospel out in the neighborhood. Share, you know what? He hates that. And he'll give you every reason in the world not to do it. You know why? Because people out there need the gospel. They need the gospel. It's a spiritual battle. Most people would say, every time we decide to go out and go door to door, there's something happens or we allow it to happen to keep us from... You know why? Because there's a, there's a spiritual factor that ought to be considered. He doesn't want to see God's people helped. He, he propagates lies. So sometimes the devil makes it hard. And finally, sometimes God makes it hard. You say, why would God keep some people out of the church? Well, sometimes sound doctrine keeps people out of the church. Now, I don't apologize for doctrine. We don't apologize for the Word of God. Sometimes conviction of sin keeps people out of the church. I'll never forget, I'm not going to mention the person's name. I doubt if more than two or three of you in this room would know it. But I remember having a conversation when we were in that other building over there, and I had a conversation in the men's restroom with a man that we'd been trying to reach, and he comes to our church occasionally, and it was, and it was Sunday morning, we were talking, and he said this. He said, well, I've been going... I might as well tell you where he's going. He said, I've been going to the Lutheran church. And I said, really, how come? He says, because there you can drink and not feel guilty about it. <laughs> I appreciate his honesty. Sometimes conviction, you know, works on people, keeps them out of church. Sometimes, sometimes sacred music causes people to be hesitant. Let me just say something to you about this. And I'm, uh, no church is perfect. We have our faults, we have our flaws, everybody does. But someone, when someone critiques a church based on their personal preferences or fleshly desires, they're using the wrong measuring stick. That's not, that's not what we're looking for in a church. We're looking for Bible exposition. We're looking for the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. We're looking for an atmosphere of holy worship. We're looking for a group of people like these people who are clearly identifying with Christ, wanting to follow Jesus. That's what we're looking for. Not just where it's fun all the time. Nothing wrong with fun. But it's not just about having fun. By the way, if a person comes to a church and they don't understand our position, for instance, on the Bible, why we use the Bible we use, if they're teachable, if they're willing to hear the truth, they can see the truth. Right? God can work in their life. Same thing happened in our lives. I'm just saying, this, in this passage, it's so clear to me you have these different factors in the community. You have a church that loved the Lord, loved each other, sacrificing, witnessing, preaching, people are being saved. Then you have religious people in the community that were bent on criticizing, finding fault, things of that nature. And by the way, that's usually where your criticism comes from. It's from religious people. It's not from lost people. It's, you know, I went to a guy's house yesterday, and this guy was, um, I had to go by myself because Peter was going to go with me and he bailed on me. But anyway, 
Um, this guy said, clearly he said he was religious. And he said, well, I'm just not very, I mean, not really. He said, I'm not religious. I'm, not, I'm really not very religious. And I said, well, I'm not here to talk about religion. You know, I'm here to talk about the gospel, what Jesus Christ can do. We believe the most important thing in the world is to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And he, and he said then, and he said, well, well my girlfriend, uh, she's religious, but uh, she has her own church. In other words, he wasn't getting it. But you know what? He was respectful. He wasn't mean. He wasn't disrespectful. You know why? Because he wasn't a religious person. The people that really more, are more disrespectful and antagonistic sometimes are religious people, but that's okay. You know, we're out to give the gospel to people. And if a person's willing to learn, we want them to know them. So then you have these, these critical people. Then you have people that are, they respect. They're, in their eyes, they're magnified. People that respect them. And, 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 and that's really a large percentage of the people. And you may not believe this, but I believe it's true. The largest percentage of people in this community or any community, they may not be saved. They may not be religious. But a lot of them respect the fact that we stand for something. <laughs> Amen? And they're out there. But then you have these people that they see it, but they're afraid to join. You know what? You can't change that. You can't change that. So, as I think about church today, think about our church. Think about the history of our church. The anniversary of our church. There are a variety, there are There are numerous opinions in this community about our church. Some people are respectful, though they don't join. Some people criticize because I think a lot of it's inspired of the devil. He's he's the the chief critic, really, slanderer. But some people just don't understand, and they just don't know. And I'll tell you, there's lots of people to be reached, even in this little bitty community. This, there are. There are people to be reached. And I, I want to I spend this time this afternoon doing this because I think people get the idea that nobody can be reached anymore. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. We're seeing people right now that are receptive to the gospel. People who are, are warming up to the gospel. And they just need to be told. They just need to be encouraged. They just need to be prayed for. It's a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle. Amen? Amen. And I, I'll end with this. You may be here today, and you're not saved. You may fit in this category. You're not saved. Maybe you've heard. Maybe you've... There are people here to, to not, today, I'm sure, that are not saved. You've heard the gospel. You've heard the gospel. You've heard the gospel. And maybe you've made a profession. Maybe like me as a kid, made a profession, got baptized. But Jesus wasn't real in my life. But I'm telling you, you need Jesus. You need to be born again. Amen? And maybe the rest of us, Jesus said, God, I want to be what you want me to be. In our community, through our church, for your honor, for your glory.